Listener Production. Hey there, Bensi on Seabit here with your afternoon briefing. Australia, are you ready for it? It's the day millions of fans have been waiting for. Taylor Swift is in the country. Even the Herald Sun has decided to rename the paper today Herald Swift. Taylor means everything. She's like my biggest inspiration. We're standing outside the stadium for every single show. I don't really care. I'm just happy to be in the room. Like, I can hear her. That's what matters. Well, even if you aren't, Swift mania is officially here. And there's a lot of build-up for the pop star, from sequins in nearly every clothing store to Taylor Swift-inspired menus at cafes. And, of course, the main event, the Eras Tour concerts. Millions of Swifties have been desperately trying to get their hands on tickets to the sold-out shows in Melbourne and Sydney. So what's up with the massive fan frenzy? Why do people get so attached to their favourite pop stars? And have we created a culture where fangirls are a little bit frowned upon? Well, listener journalist Lauren Howarth joins me for a chat. Thanks for your time, Lauren. So it's all about Taylor Swift at the moment, from her Eras tour to the NFL and the Grammys where she's made history. But Taylor Swift now has fandom up there with like the Beatles and Prince and Michael Jackson. And today we're focusing on the fans. So tell us, Lauren, how far back does this kind of fandom go? Where does it all start? Yeah, so during my research, the first case of fangirling that I could find was back in 1844. And it was this term coined listomania or list fever. And it was used to describe this intense fan frenzy towards this Hungarian composer by the name of Franz Liszt. And it was actually considered by some as a genuine contagious medical condition. Public (laughs) officials apparently even feared an epidemic. It was that crazy. And so Liszt... Yeah, it was intense. And Liszt uh, took Europe's music scene by storm and some people even call him the world's first ever rock star. Female admirers, they went to extreme lengths to kind of get close to him. They'd take his handkerchiefs, gloves and even locks of his hair. And apparently fans wanted some of his hair so badly, (laughs) he got a dog, right? And that had the same hair colour as him so that he could send it to his fans pretending that it was like he had cut his hair to send to them, but it was just Wowie. a dog. Yeah, <laughs> so that's that's the first case of fangirling that I could find. Right, okay. And so let's go all the way forward to these days. Obviously, Taylor's in town for the Errors tour. What's, what's the link here? Yeah, so obviously everything Tay-Tay at the moment. You've got your glitter and sequins in shops. You've got all the friendship bracelet-making kits. I've even seen pubs and cafes jump on the hype. They've got these Taylor Swift-themed trivia. And I haven't seen such fanfare in my life. I mean, I'm only 26, but I've never seen anything like this before. And I had a chat to Kate Patterson. So she's an RMIT fan studies expert, and she's actually one of the only people in the world doing a PhD on Taylor Swift. And and she told me that Swift is at the peak of her popularity at the moment. You know, she's released so many new albums. I'm sure you haven't missed that. The Grammys, she dropped that. She's releasing a new album in April. Mm-hmm. And so when that drops, um, that will be nine albums in just five years. So that's her new albums and re-recorded ones, which 
is a lot for musicians. Sometimes you only see them release one every couple of years. And I was just talking about uh, the relationship that Taylor has with her fans with Kate. And, uh, you know, she invites her fans over to her house sometimes to have these sort of secret sessions, listens to an album before they're even released to the public. And Kate said that Taylor is just like really leading this charge in terms of building that relationship with fans. And I guess that's why people have become so caught up with her at the moment. Taylor and Taylor Nation um, sort of have this reputation, excuse the pun, of rewarding fans for their participation. So she'll comment on their posts, whether it's on TikTok or Tumblr or Twitter, now X, I should say. Um, And because of that, fans understand that by participating to these sort of high levels, there's a chance that they could get invited to a secret session backstage at one of the shows. They might be sent a Christmas present, which she's done in previous years. And so I think because of this sort of unique reward system, we do see those sort of heightened levels of participation. So that's a pretty intense level of, I guess, engagement that she's doing Mm. with individual fans. We're also seeing fans travelling all over the world to see their favourite artist multiple times. What's behind that? Yeah, so, I mean, I am also a fan, um, a fan of Taylor, but a big Harry Styles fan. So when he came to Australia last year, I went to three of his shows. And I think it's just, you know, you get caught up in this culture, this community that these artists build, and it just feels like a really welcoming place for people to hang out with other like-minded people and go and see their favourite artists. And I also had a chat with Aussie Swifty Jacinda. So she's been a long-time Swifty. She's even been to Nashville, New York, New Jersey, Las Vegas, and just recently Tokyo to see Taylor Swift. And she's been to all over Australia to to see Taylor perform as well. And I wanted to know from her perspective what made her wanted to go and see Taylor all around the world multiple times. And she basically told me that she loved the idea of combining her two interests of travel and Taylor Swift. So she just jumped on a plane and hasn't looked back since. When I turned 21, Taylor announced her Speak Now tour. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go take my first solo trip around the world and just make it happen. And I did. I met Swifties that I'm still friends with now to this day, which is almost 13 years ago now or coming up to 13 years. I got to meet Taylor backstage on that trip and then I got to continue travelling America. How much money does this person as a 21-year-old have? <laughs> she tells me that she spends all her money on Taylor Swift and travelling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that's the that's my reaction to what <laughs> Jacinta just said. But what reaction do other people give? Yeah, so people definitely question why she does it, and I'll let Jacinda take that one. People constantly ask me, and still to this day, why do you need to see the same show more than once? And I don't know if it's the same for Harry, but, like, Taylor changes up her shows, um, and I guess concerts are our happy place, right? There's just so much sadness in the world, and life can be so heavy at times. And I'm just 100% when I'm at a concert, whether it's Taylor Swift or another artist, It just makes me happy. Yeah, and just on that, I often see a lot of other fans, yeah, be it Taylor Swift or Harry Styles, for example, be criticised online for going to all these concerts. And I do think that there's a bit of a difference in how people view fangirls uh, as compared to sports fans. And really, the two are quite similar in the way, you know, we get these big groups of people who are interested in the same thing. They go to the stadium, go to see who they want to see. Um, But when I Googled, for example, do people hate fangirls, all these articles popped up um, saying that fangirls have this negative reputation, they're annoying and they're 
hysterical. They're not seen as respectable as sports fans. They're not really taken as seriously. Yet when I Googled, do people hate sports fans? There wasn't really any articles uh, like that at all. It was more so just about people not liking sport rather than people uh, having a go at sports fans. And so I wanted to chat to a sports fan to kind of see what's it like on the other side. Because as a fangirl, I, I'm only on the fangirl side. I only know from that experience. Um, so I caught up with Mark Costello. So he's a GWS Giants supporter and he's actually the captain of the cheer squad. Uh, he's told me that he used to travel a lot more uh, before COVID. Uh, now he goes to all the Sydney and Canberra games as well as any finals matches which are interstate. And just for some context as well, according to the AFL, apparently on average 3,500 fans travel interstate per game, which is wild to me. Yeah, that's quite a lot of people. Yeah. Um, so what do people in Mark's orbit say about all this travel that he's doing? Yeah, so when I spoke to Mark, he said that no one actually really questions him travelling to go and support his favourite team. He said that everyone's pretty encouraging and they kind of cheer him on. Oh, they're very accepting of it, um, yes. I don't know if my bank manager's is quite as accepting. Um, <laughs> it's, but, uh, no, it is a little bit of a financial cost in, involved and so um, I, I've just got to be a little bit wary of that. So I guess I, I question myself at times more than anybody else and know or family and friends do. And something that I came across during my research as well, which really made me think about this, is there was this article that I found and it told me to imagine a crowd of people wearing colourful outfits and screaming in a stadium. And really, my first thought was fangirls, you know, cheering on Taylor Swift or screaming for Harry Styles, but it really could be sports fans in their favourite footy jerseys. But how we perceive the two is very different in essence. Um, besides, as I said before, both groups of people are actually the same, you know, both fans of their idols in a stadium wanting to see their either their favourite pop star or their favourite sporting team. So I had a chat to Kate about this. And yeah, she also mentioned how a lot of the behaviours are quite similar. And she explained to me why there is this difference in how fangirls are perceived compared to sports fans. Pop music and fandom has often been feminized. That's not to say all the fans are female, but it's seen in a sort of feminine way, um, unlike these kind of masculine genres of rock or sport, as I mentioned. And so I think while things have improved, definitely I think over the last decade of sort of us reassessing our perceptions of pop fans, I think there is still work to be done to, yeah, just try and stop kind of portraying them as hysterical and um, a bit crazy. Because I think at the end of the day, it's just a shared love for music or whatever it might be that you're a fan of. So Kate seems to be saying there that things might be starting to change in our attitudes yeah. to fandom. What does the future look like? Yeah, so I asked Kate about this because I think it's a quite an interesting question and she said that um, more and more people are actually embracing their love for pop stars and they're no longer ashamed of belonging to a fandom and she said that Taylor Swift has played a huge role in this. I am hoping it'll change a little bit further. I think, you know, as I said, I think there's still a little bit of work to be done, but I think at least the conversations, I mean, particularly in the lead up to the Eras Tour, there's been a lot more conversations about fandom and fangirls and these expressions and kind of looking at the positives, you know, the friendship bracelet making, the the time it takes to make these costumes, the way it's bringing a lot of people together and just this excitement that we've got for it. And whether you are a huge Taylor Swift fan or a massive sports fan, I think Taylor herself says it best. You know, we should just let people just have fun and enjoy their hobbies. The worst kind of person is someone who makes someone feel bad, dumb or stupid for like being excited about something. I don't think you should ever have to apologize for your excitement. I think that's a very wholesome uh, yeah. <laughs> attitude to, <laughs> towards it. And I like, I, I guess I was 
kind of moved by the comment that Jacinda made before, mm. which was about how, you know, there's a lot of sadness, a lot of shock and horror and gore really happening in the world today. And why don't we just let people have fun <laughs> with Literally, the things let, that they Just like? let people go out and enjoy what they want to enjoy. Like there's nothing wrong in that. They're not hurting anyone. Just let people be, I think. Absolutely. Well, Lauren, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Lauren Howarth there. That's it for your afternoon briefing. And tomorrow, Antoinette Latouf is back with the weekend briefing. Antoinette, what do you have for us? Hey, team. On the weekend briefing, I have a very special guest. And not only because she shares my name and because we're about to launch a new podcast together, but because she is one of the most impressive and hilarious individuals I have ever met. Her name is Azur Antoinette. She's a poet. She's a corporate crisis fixer. She hails from LA, moved to Sydney just a couple of years ago, both for love and because the Ku Klux Klan literally drove her out of her house. Don't miss it. Thanks, Antoinette, and congrats on the new pod. And on Sunday, Tom Tilly brings us a revealing chat with the brilliant First Nations journalist and ABC presenter, Tony Armstrong. Don't miss that one. And we're always keen to hear your feedback on the show, stories you'd like us to tell and guest suggestions. Search The Briefing Podcast on Instagram and send us a DM. I'm Bensie on Siebert and from all of us here at The Briefing, happy Friday. Thanks for listening. Listener.